Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Father, as you speak to us today through your powerful word, open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to hear, to believe, and to put these words into practice, not only now in this hour of worship, but as we leave here and as we live as your children out into the communities that you have placed us in. Bless us now, and we pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. So today, we are wrapping up this sermon series, Can I Get a Connection? And maybe just real quick, as we finish today, let's recap, right? Week number one, if you were able to see it or you were here, you remember we talked about the greatest connection of all. Right, we talked about if we're going to get connection with each other, with our families, and then today, talking about the community, we first have to get this connection down with us and God. And we talked about because of Jesus, because he was perfect in our place, because he died on the cross for us, we are connected to the Father and part of his family. Week number two, we talked about, can I get a connection with my family? And we said, really, at the end of the day, it all comes back to getting together, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, kids, getting together, getting back into God's word. Last week, we talked about this connection that God gives us as a church. God said last week to us, don't stop getting together as some are in the habit of doing, but keep gathering, and not just for an hour on Sunday, but, but regularly throughout the week so that we can encourage each other. Correct, rebuke, forgive, support. Because if you remember right, we, we talked about how we all need help in our walk of faith. We all need somebody to tell us the truth. And sometimes the truth is, hey, stop walking away from Jesus, but then have the guts to stick around, even if we're a little belligerent with that, and keep pointing us to Jesus. And we all need somebody to know more than just our name. We need them to know our strengths, our weaknesses, our joys, our fears, our sorrows, our sins, and all those things so that they can help us see Jesus better. And today, we're going to talk about how we can get a connection in our world, in the community that God has placed us in. And for us, for Ascension Lutheran Church, that place is called Jacksonville, North Carolina. So this week, as I was thinking about that, there was a question that kept popping in my head. And it was one that I I remember someone kind of asking the question, not just to me, but to, to kind of a group of pastors. And this was the question he said. If your church ceased to exist or suddenly disappeared, would anyone in your community even notice? Right, in other words, if after today I said amen, we all walked out, we locked the doors, we turned off the lights, we took down the signs, and we were done, would anybody even notice? And I'm not talking about insider stuff, of course we would, but would Jacksonville even know that Ascension just went away? And for the longest time, that question has troubled me. That question has haunted me. It's it's kept me up at night. But on the flip side, it's also motivated me and probably in many ways drives how I try to pastor here at Ascension. Because it's a huge question to consider, right? Right? 
What if? What if we no longer existed? What if back in 2013-14 time period when the previous pastor left, he took a call, and we didn't have a pastor, and our church body's district mission board, which that's what we're under even to this day, they support us, they pray for us, they give us money, right? What if they, they made a hard decision, which I would never want to be in those guys' shoes. What if they said, you know what, we've given enough time and money and pastors, it's sink or swim, guys. What if they said no to more subsidy and support? What if I never got a call to come here and no other pastor received a call to come here? What if over time we just kind of did the best we could, but eventually we had to close the doors here at Ascension? Would anybody even have noticed? It's a deep question. I think it's a very important question for us to consider, and maybe even more so now, right? Because as we look back at the history of this church, God has blessed us, right? God has given us this beautiful building over the years because many of you rolled up your sleeves, effort, time, energy, money, resources, prayers, and, and God blessed us with this building. God has blessed us with with. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people that walk through these doors, baptisms, confirmations, and all of that stuff, a daily or a weekly attendance is, is some of the highest it's ever been in the history of Ascension. In fact, before COVID hit, which that hit every church pretty much the same, our attendance was in the mid-80s. Numbers that were, I don't even know if we dreamed about those seven, eight years ago. But here's the temptation for us, Right? God has blessed us tremendously. Things are going really well. There's always room for improvement, but he's, he's, he's doing his thing as he promises. And the temptation for us is this, to look inward. The temptation for me as a pastor, the temptation for you as the congregation is to start to look inward and think, well, how can we self-preserve? How can we, we do the things that, that we like, that make us comfortable, that will, that will advance what we want in the mission? And it's so easy to forget them. The people outside these walls that need to hear the gospel. And so that's why today in this sermon, we're going to talk about that because Jesus does. We're going to talk about what is our mission as a church as he desires to connect us to the community in which he has placed us in. And today, to do that, we're looking at that reading from Isaiah. I don't know what you know about Isaiah, but, but maybe briefly put the historical context is Isaiah was one of God's preachers. He was a pastor in ancient Israel 700 years before Jesus was born. And week after week, preacher Isaiah, you know what the message was? Right? Week after week, Isaiah would walk into to a gathering like this and speak to God's people. And you know what he would say? Stop it. Stop rejecting God. Stop turning away from him. Stop doing your own thing and stop worshiping those false gods and repent. And when you do, 
your father's going to forgive you freely, but stop rebelling against him. I would imagine Isaiah wasn't the most popular guy in Israel at that time proclaiming a message like that. But that's what God had him do in the first 39 chapters of the book we call Isaiah. That's kind of the bare bone gist of that message. Repent or you're going to perish. Repent or punishment's coming. And he even got specific. God said punishment's going to come in the form of a nation called Babylon. If you don't turn from sin, Babylon is going to march and they're going to burn your houses. They're going to destroy your cities. They're going to kill your young men in battle, and they're going to take your wives, take your girlfriends, take your daughters and your sons and your children, and cart them off to Babylon in exile. Now, of course, if you know anything about Scripture, you, you know how it went. It didn't go well. Those exact things happened to God's own people because they refused to listen to God. But... That's not the only message that God had Isaiah proclaim. He also gave him a message of hope. Even though you rebelled, I'm going to remain faithful. Even though you have turned and worshipped other gods, I am still going to be your God and pursue you and love you and try to forgive you and reach out to you, even if you run from me. God gave Isaiah a message of hope that somebody at some point was going to come and rescue them and that they would come home from exile, but not just that, that they would be saved from spiritual exile. And that's where Isaiah 49 comes into the picture. Let's walk through it a little bit and see what God is saying to us. He says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, and in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver, and he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Obviously, there's a lot going on here, but I, I think the first thing I want to point out and make us aware of is who God's talking to. He's not just talking to the nation of Israel, although they were part of the audience, but not just them. Right? He says, you islands, you distant nations. He's talking to not just Israel, but to the world. Because when it comes to sharing the good news of God, his mission isn't small, it's a big one, right? God sees the big picture, and the big picture is it's for the world. But who's going to do it? Who's going to bring this message? Who's going to be the one that not just brings them back from exile, but who's going to be the one that helps them come back from spiritual exile to sin and death? We got some hints, don't we? God knows this person by name. God chose this person. Handpicked. Right? God gave this individual a, a sharpened sword. Right? It talks about his mouth shaped like a sharpened sword. If you remember in the New Testament, you know what God says the word of God is? The word of God is that double-edged sword that has the power to cut straight to the heart, 
to cause people to, to be moved to repent and to forgive and to save. So who's really being talked about in Isaiah 49, 1 to 3? Here's another clue for you. 700 years after Isaiah penned these words, an elderly gentleman named Simeon shuffled into the temple in Jerusalem. Simeon was a godly man. He knew the prophecies and promises of God, and he knew the biggest one of all, God would send a Savior to rescue him and all people from sin and death. And so on that day, as that old man Simeon shuffles into the temple, you know who else is coming into the temple? You've probably heard of him before, Mary and Joseph. And you know who was snuggled up in Mary's arms? Jesus. And the Holy Spirit revealed the sin. You know, for those thousands and thousands of years that you and my people in the world has been waiting for a Savior, that's the one. And, and, and Simeon, I always thought this was kind of weird, right, ladies? Just, just think about a newborn, maybe your firstborn, and some old guy just out of nowhere comes up and grabs your kid. That's what Simeon does. And he grabs baby Jesus and he looks into his eyes and this is what he says. Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Right, by faith, by God's doing, he opened Simeon's eyes and he saw the Savior before him and he's like, God, I, I can go any time now. <laughs> Thank you. Isaiah, Simeon, both were talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who would come, that servant of God. He'd be the one who was known by name and called by God, right? God even said to Mary through the angel, you're going to call him Jesus because that name means he saves. Right? This, this chosen servant would also be one who would have a powerful weapon. Right? Jesus came to preach the good news, to set the captives free, and it was the message of forgiveness and sin through him and what he would do. Right? Jesus is the one who came and he was going to show and reveal the glory of God as, as Jesus on numerous occasions said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in his book. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the promises of God throughout the entire book of the Bible. So maybe... The next verses might seem a little bit odd and a little bit out of place. Did you catch them? Isaiah goes on and he said, but, but I said, I, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing. I think you can make maybe a couple connections here, right? If we're talking Isaiah himself, oh, no doubt, right? I, I can't imagine being Isaiah where week after week, time after time, you proclaim, God says, this is what I want you to say, and he's like, are you sure? <laughs> or, or Isaiah, this is what I want you to tell him, repent or die. And Can, can we say something else? They're not going to like me for saying this, right? Or the times that Isaiah does proclaim it, and what do they do? 
How do the God people react? They plug their ears. They refuse to listen. I'm sure he had many a nights where Isaiah's like, God, I, I don't know why I'm doing this for. It doesn't matter. It's not making a difference. They're not even listening to you. But Isaiah wasn't the only one who knew what rejection felt like. God's servant, the suffering servant Jesus, knew all about rejection, didn't he? Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected by his own family. All right? Remember the story where Jesus is preaching and teaching and his family comes and they're not coming to listen to him. They're coming to grab him and take him home because they think he's acting crazy and he's going to embarrass himself and the family and maybe get them all into trouble. Jesus was rejected by his own church. I think about that. It's his church to begin with, but the church actually didn't want anything to do with him. And then there were the authorities who arrested him and beat him and put him on trial and finally nailed him to a cross. And in that most deepest hour of need, even his closest confidants and friends, who promised we'll never leave you, they left him to die alone on that cross. Isaiah knew rejection. Jesus knew this thing of rejection. And I would guess you felt it too. And as you've lived your life of faith as a child of God, maybe as you've tried to, to connect to the community and world in which God has placed you in, have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever felt like, why bother? It's not going to make a difference. Nobody cares. Nothing changes. Have you ever felt like that? I know as a pastor I have. Maybe that's why I sympathize a little bit with Isaiah. I kind of understand what he's saying. The times that, that maybe I wondered, is anybody even listening to these sermons? Does it make a difference? Maybe the times where the texts, the calls, the emails go unanswered when all I wanted to do is say, hey, are you okay? Can I give you some Jesus? The times where maybe instead of words of, of encouragement and sharing Jesus, a lot of times it's, hey, this ain't going right. You're not doing this right. That person's not doing that right. And it's more grumbling, complaining. So I'm tempted to think, why bother, right? If I left today, would anyone notice? Does it matter, Jesus? And I'm guessing that I'm not alone. I'm guessing as you think about maybe that child that, that's drifted, the child that you've prayed for, the child that you've talked to and loved, the child that maybe you've even begged to, to, to come back to Jesus, and, and they're not listening. They're still not sitting next to you. Maybe they've even come to the point where they said, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I don't even want to hear this anymore, but out. And that hurts. Maybe it's that, that coworker or that friend that, that you've been working on and talking to and trying to love with the love of Jesus, but they're just not reciprocating. Maybe it's that individual that it seems like no matter what you do, they don't care. And maybe they're not even just ignoring you, that they're actively rejecting you and fighting against you. And you're like, God, what gives? Come on. 
And I would guess that some of those things, because I know it has with me, it makes you think, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. You're discouraged, and you quit even doing those things. If you've ever felt like that, if you've ever felt like a sinful pastor like me or a broken prophet sometimes like Isaiah, then you have to hear these words. God goes on and says this. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with my God. Now remember, we're talking about Jesus here, right? And so what is Jesus telling you? He is saying to you, I got it. I know the rejection hurts. I know that the struggles that you go through as living, living your faith for me is not always easy. Been there, done that. But I've got it. I will give you your reward. Don't worry if you don't get it from the people around you. I will give it to you. And so here's the deal, guys. You know what is one of the best, if not the best, antidote to discouragement? The times when you're struggling, the times you're like, nobody cares, God, I'm all alone, I'm, I'm hurting here, I'm struggling. The best antidote? It's what at least one or two godly men remind me of on a pretty regular basis, and even more so, my wife just told me this just this last week. It's this. Remember who you are. Because you know what Satan wants to do? He wants you to forget who you are. He wants you to get angry and bitter and discouraged and throw in the towel and quit. He wants you to get depressed and stop living your life of faith and sharing Jesus. Or he wants you to get bitter and angry and fight others because then you're too busy fighting instead of sharing them. He wants you to get discouraged and say, it doesn't pay, it doesn't bother, forget about it. But the best deterrent to that? Remember who you are. And who are you? You know, right? You know because Jesus has told you. He says, you are my child. He says, you are so loved, you, you don't even know the extent of it. He, he says that, that I purchased and won you with my blood. I've washed you in the waters of your baptism. I have taken away your sins as far as the east is from the west. You're mine. And so it doesn't matter what they say or think. It doesn't matter what they do. Because you belong to the king. Right, and the only thing that matters, Paul once said this to, to one of his congregations in one of his letters. He says, I don't care what you think of me. Imagine that pastor saying that. I don't care what you think of me, guys. And I don't care what even I think of myself. Because the only thing that matters is what he thinks and says. And he says that I am his. He says that I'm forgiven and loved and I am his child. And that's what Jesus says about you. He has brought you to faith. He has washed you of sins. He has made you a part of his family. And now, he wants you to go. To share. Isaiah goes on. He says this. It's too small of a thing. It's too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring those of Israel I have kept. Bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Right? The Father says, hey, Jesus, 
It's way too small. To just send you to rescue and save my chosen, the, the nation of Israel, that's an easy day for me. You know, that's not where we're stopping. We're going global with this. We're taking it international. We're hitting the road, Jesus. And we are going to do this for the world, not just of one group of people. We're going to do it for every single soul because they all need rescuing. And so God's plan from day one, you know what it was? It was to send Jesus to step into the sin and filth and brokenness of this world to rescue lost sinners which is the only kind of people that ever walked the earth. <laughs> and he did. Jesus came, and he rescued lost sinners like you and me. That we rejoice, we thank our God for, but God's not quite done with us yet. He says, now go. And not just go and serve yourself, not just go to certain groups of people. He says, go out and make a connection with the community that I have placed you in. Go to the ends of the earth. And so, what are the ends of the world for us as a church and for you as a follower of Christ? No one's ever saying that you're going to be sent to India or to Africa or to China or to South America like we send missionaries. But what is the end of the earth for you? Maybe, maybe it's the skeptic that you work with. The one that, that if religion even gets brought up, he, he or she's the one that always kind of blows it off. Then maybe they walk away, or maybe they even get antagonistic and try to, to fight in that dialogue. Maybe it's them, and, and God says, I want you to, in love, reach out to that person. Maybe for some of you, the ends of the earth is that classmate. The one who's difficult. Maybe it's the one who's the bully. And Jesus says, but they need my love too. And so reach out to them and show love and compassion to them. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. And Jesus says, let your light shine so that they might know me. Maybe the ends of the earth for you is that person you know who's who's struggling with something, maybe some particular sin that has a grip on them and they can't find their way out and they need help. Maybe it's that person locked in a prison of addiction or depression or anger or stubbornness or bitterness or pride because all of those things will kill your faith. And Jesus says, I want you to go to them and love them and give them me so that they too may be forgiven and set free and live at peace and enjoy. See, friends, Jesus not only died and rose and brought you to faith and saved you, he also calls you to go on mission for him. All right? I, I want to read a passage. This is what Jesus, he's talking about himself, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
No brainer, right? Jesus, you're the son of God. You're perfect. You're holy. You're the savior. You came to shine the light of love and forgiveness of God so that we might see the face of our father and live. And you did it all. But then you know what Jesus says? He says, you. (laughs) I've rescued you. I've saved you. I've made you a part of my family. But now you are the light of the world. And let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Jesus says, you. You're the light of the world. You're the salt. You're the ones that if you live the way Christ has called us to live, will stick out like a sore thumb in all the best ways possible, shining the light of Jesus so that others may see him too. So, what is the big picture for us here at Ascension as we think about connecting to our community? How are we going to be able to, and how are we going to connect with the community that God has placed us in, in this little corner of the world called Jacksonville, North Carolina? You know, in many ways, you guys have been already doing a fantastic job with this. Did you know that? I know some of you have invited family and friends. Some of you have shared the gospel with that person in your life that's hurting. Some of you, you, you gave till it hurt like at Christmas time. For those needy kids who, did, who wouldn't have had a Christmas, you gave and gave thousands of dollars for a small little church. You kidding me? That's awesome. So that they could have a Christmas. Just recently, you gave a ton of cans of soup, and I'd like to believe it wasn't just so you saw the beard gone. Nobody's laughing at that except my wife. Because <laughs> you didn't do it for that, right? And you didn't do it simply because you wanted to feed some hungry kids. You ultimately did it because Jesus loves you and you wanted to love others in the name of Christ. And so that is what we're going to continue to do as a church. First, we're going to focus in on and keep focusing in on gathering together around word and sacrament because that's where we're going to get our strength. That's where we're going to get our, our, our motivation to take the gospel out into Jacksonville. And then we're going to keep pushing life groups. We're going to start up after summer break. And, and I hope someday I can stand up here and say, we get 100% participation of life groups in this church. And we're already probably at about 80% the last two rounds, which is an amazing blessing. And one more thing that we're going to focus on as we get into the fall, we're going, to, we're going to look for and intentionalize more ways to leave here. Not just say, you guys come to us, because you know what lost people won't do? They're not going to come to us. You want to know why? Lost people don't know they're lost. So Jesus says, go. Just like the good shepherd. We, we didn't say, Jesus, I'm lost, come and find me. He came and found us when we couldn't find him. And so Jesus says to us, now now go. And so that's what we're going to do. Not because we're awesome or so great, not because this is our plan, but because this is Jesus' mission for us. To go and take the gospel to the streets of Jacksonville because the mission's not done yet. God's mission is not done with us. His mission is not done with Jacksonville because there's still many people out there who don't know Jesus. And he says to you, and he says to me, go.
tell them. Tell them that they have a God who loves them and died for them and saved them. Tell them that nobody's too far gone. Tell them that Jesus died for that sin too, just like he died for all of ours. Tell them that you have a God who loves you, a God who gave up his only son so that you could live with him forever. Because that's our mission. And so maybe as we leave here, the question isn't so much, if we disappeared, would anyone notice? Maybe the better question is, how can you make a connection this week for Jesus in that little corner of the world that he has placed you in? Amen.